Hello and welcome to the journalism.co.uk podcast, a show where we bring you insights from media industry experts to help journalists do their jobs better. I'm your host, Jacob Granger. Newsletters have been something of a game changer for the media industry over the last few years, not least because of the rise of Substack, a Silicon Valley-based newsletter platform that allows readers to subscribe to their favourite individual writers for content straight to their inbox. Some writers have started up their Substacks as a side gig to bring in extra cash, Others have left their day jobs and made it into their full-time occupation, while a few others have managed to create entire media publications hosted on the platform which cover their local patch. Today I'm talking to Farah Storr, Head of Writer Partnerships at Substack UK, who joined the company last November after spending more than a decade working in the magazine journalism industry, where she edited some of the biggest titles including Women's Health, Cosmopolitan and Elle. In our conversation today, Farah shares inside tips on starting a Substack and the features you need to be using to turn it into a successful business enterprise. All of that's coming up. Don't go anywhere. Farah, welcome to the journalism.co.uk podcast. Thank you so much for jumping on the show. Thanks for having me. Would you tell our audience a little known fact about yourself, please? Oh, in another life, I should have been a garden designer. I'm absolutely potty. Um about gardening there's a good pun in there you realize uh tell me oh you said um you're very potty about gardening <laughs> it's the writer in me that, that that's the problem i want to be a garden designer but actually I, I will forever be a writer sadly quite the green thumb then <laughs> yeah. well i wouldn't say i'm a very successful gardener but i'm certainly um i'm very enthusiastic it's sort of the only discipline that um manages to take me out of my head actually which which actually is, is the main reason why, mm. why I love gardening uh could never do yoga but sort of I sort of see gardening as sort of like fully clothed yoga you get into a state of flow which I certainly have never been able to achieve uh, at any point in my life so so yes there's a, a little known fact fully clothed yoga like stretching across to you know plant something in or reach up high to um clip a hedge or something like that yeah <laughs> Exactly. I like the analogy. Um, where does that love come from? The honest answer to that is um, about, oh God, probably about eight years ago um, when I was editing magazines and, and sort of was in the full thrust of editing Cosmo, I think at the time, I had a, a very good friend of mine who was retraining to be a life coach. She did this quite revelatory session on me, which is which essentially just to, to sort of give you the end result was she sort of created a picture of my life and, and my life was pretty much... 95% work and sort of 5% for my husband and the dogs and she was like you know you you don't have any time for yourself you don't have any time for friends she's like you need to take up a hobby and I and I was very dismissive um because hobby I think if you're a certain type of personality which I am hobby just sort of sounded too genteel for me um but but I remember thinking about it for a very long time and then we had moved house and I looked out the window and of course we had this very overgrown garden and I was like, well, maybe this can be my hobby. And and the wonderful thing about gardening is if you are quite a sort of type A personality, when people say to you, oh, just relax, just have a lavender bath. Well, it's very difficult to do that. But but of course, gardening is all about struggle and triumph and, and trying things which fail. And, and it's just something that I think connects with me very deeply this is very boring sorry but but yes that that's where my love of gardening has come from you've helped me find my segue anyway uh farah you you touched there you've sp- you've worked in journalism for quite a number of years now you've you've built a very good um career for yourself there these days you know you work with Substack, you know a tech uh, platform how have you found that transition Do you know what everybody asked me that and, and i think they expect the answer to be god it's really hard but 
you know, I was never going to be an editor forever. And I was certainly never going to work on magazines forever. Um, but, but the problem was, I didn't know what I was going to do, because I, I love journalists, I love writers, I love writing, and I love editing. Um, and, and before I sort of made the leap out of magazines, which was was sort of on my radar for the final year of, of, of editing, I was spending a lot of money on these subscriptions to Substack. And, and so Substack, whilst it is a tech platform, it really is it's journalism, really. I mean, you know, the main part of my job is dealing every minute of every day with writers. Um, so, yes, there are bits of the, of the tech side. It's very, very quick. It moves incredibly quickly. Um, but but I can tell you this, even though my, my heart has been with magazines for a very long time, as you can imagine, when I joined magazines, which was in early 2000s, I'd never known a period of growth. You know, we had little spurts of growth and I was at Cosmo and Women's Health, but those were outliers. It was not an industry that was, was in growth. And being at a tech company which celebrates journalism, which is in rapid growth, that is a totally new sensation for me. Um, so the transition has has been um, remarkable, really. Yeah. From that response, do you see um, newsletters, what Substack's doing as maybe an extension or an evolution, really, of magazine journalism then? I think it can be. I, I think actually the, the truth is they can live side by side and they should live side by side. You know, I never certainly ever want to see the end of magazines. I mean, that would be absolutely um, it would be terrible. Well, look, the industry is shrinking. That's not a big secret. So the wonderful thing about Substack is is, is, is two main th- three main things, actually. Um, and this is where the evolution bit comes in. The first is you have a lot of journalists who want to write creatively. And as you and I know, and I know from an editor, if you edit a magazine, you have certain sections you need to fill. And if a journalist idea does not subscribe to that um, section or, or that sort of gap, then a journalist could have the best idea in the world and it could be beautifully written. But if it doesn't fit my plan, it's never going to get commissioned. So you have an awful lot of writers out there who are very frustrated um, and want somewhere to put their work. So, of course, Substack serves that need. Um the other thing, of course, is, is that as the industry gets smaller, there are less and less opportunities, particularly for freelancers and, and also staff writers. You know, those jobs are, are are disappearing. So, again, what Substack offers is, well, if you know your audience and you know how to write for them, here's another way that you can write what you want and your readers will pay you directly, which, again, this is where it's different to magazines, where we really, for the most part, relied on advertising revenue. You know, for, for the most part, Cosmopolitan was sort of 50-50 ads and, and readers. And then like, the third bit for writers, and I guess this is the evolution part. This is the really interesting bit when I'm talking to writers. And, and they sort of don't realise this, which is for some writers. And I certainly found this. I think some people can think that writers, I think we talked about this, are like dairy cows. You, you lose one, doesn't matter, you'll get you'll get 10 other writers who will come in. But that's misunderstanding the magic of a, of a writer. And I certainly found in my career that as wonderful as the magazines were that, you know, I edited and I put out a lot of the time people were coming for the writers that I had, that that was the truth. And yet the writers had no ownership over the audience that they were bringing in. Um, So the difference and I think the important thing for writers and this goes to social media as well. I know so many writers and not just writers, Jacob, actually creatives, you know, artists, musicians who have spent the last 10 years, and, and I count myself in this, by the way, 
doing an awful lot of free content on um, Twitter and on Instagram and Instagram lives. And that's great. So that as they've been building this audience. But of course, the moment they decide to come off those platforms, which they may do, um, they, they lose the audience that they've cultivated. And so the important thing is on Substack, I always say to writers is come over to Substack, even if you decide to come off it, which I hope you don't. We have no claim to your those emails that people give you. That audience is yours forever. And that's really important if you're a writer who's starting to think of yourself as a business. Yeah. And and just to clarify that final point, because it's really uh, important, what you're saying there is, should the writer want to leave Substack for whatever reason, they can export their email list. That's their proprietary ownership. Yeah, that's absolutely right. It is theirs forever. A few episodes ago, we heard from Yoshi Herman, who founded a publication called The Mill on Substack. It's a local news publication focused on the Manchester area. He subsequently launched other titles in Sheffield and Liverpool after receiving a grant from Substack's local news fund, which works as an advance on their annual revenue. For those writing a Substack newsletter on the side, or as part of a freelance portfolio, or even going full steam ahead with it as their main means of earning a living, the move could feel like a risky or scary proposition. Here's Farah with all the need-to-know information to get started. For most writers, and for the most part the writers that I am working with, um, what I say to them is get started. If you have a niche or you have an area of expertise, exploit that, use that to your advantage. And then think about it as a business. That's very unsexy for a writer to be told that. However, I think you can treat a substack like a blog and it can be a place of a, you know, immense creative outlet. But I think what I always say to writers is if you want to take this seriously and you want to see this as a ultimately as either a permanent move or as a significant side salary for you, you need to start thinking of it as a business. And so if it's a business, you need to think about, okay, well, what's the offering? How many times a week can I be posting? Will those posts be writing or will I be doing audio or will I be doing video or will I just be doing a thread? And I can explain this in more detail. And how will I market it? You know, what what are my routes to market? Every time I I do a piece of freelance journalism, I need to make sure that my um, I argue my case to have my substack at the end of it. So so all of these things, you sort of have to take it quite seriously if you want to make a business out of it. If you just want to use it as a fabulous creative outlet, like an old school blog, then do whatever. The one thing that substack works very, very hard at is surfacing writers, because, of course, the thing with substack is. You can go to the homepage and you can discover writers, and that's what we're spending a lot of time doing. But for the main part, people will come to your substack because of you that's the funnel into which they discover substack is through the writer a lot of writers say to me well i've basically sort of scraped all my super fans from all my social media channels um how do i get recognized beyond one of the things which i always say to writers is when you start a substack um when you sort of go into the back end and put the name in and the subdomain you will be asked for um what are your tags so in other words Um, If somebody is searching for your content, what sort of best typifies what you do? So it might be women, it might be fashion, blah, blah, blah. Garden. Yes. (laughs) Those those are very important because um, what they will do is, let's say if you chose culture as one of your three tags, the better and the bigger you become um, with Substack, you're going to start becoming in the sort of list of the top 100 people in culture. So when people start searching for culture, you will surface as sort of one of the top 100, you know, reads in culture. So that is very important. 
we have things like Substack Reads, which I edit, um, which every week I sort of wade through the sort of thousands. And we surface basically reads that we think people will find interesting. And Substack Reads goes out to 100,000 um, people. That is a way of surfacing. But probably the most significant, I think, the most important way to help writers get better recognised is leaning on other writers. So, and we have seen this. If a writer recommends another writer, that is when huge growth happens. Um, so you could be writing um, a substack and you, I don't know, let's say you write about gardening and you might go, actually, I'm really bad on perennials, but you should check out Farah Store. She writes um, a really great newsletter. I mean, I do write a newsletter, but it's not on gardening, sadly. Um, you should check it out. And that is when the huge growth happens. And what we have done to sort of nudge writers into helping one another is in the last couple of weeks, we've launched something called um, recommendations, which essentially, if you were to recommend me, I would get a notification saying Jacob has recommended things worth knowing, which is my, my newsletter. Would you like to recommend back? And so it becomes very much like those early days of social media where um, I can't remember what they called it on Instagram. It was something like Follow Friday or something where you had people going, look, you should follow this person. So we are at that point now where there's an enormous amount of generosity and goodwill with writers um, helping to grow um, one another. Yeah. Would it be fair to summarise then that external growth, i.e. pulling your super fans onto the platform, will only get you so far really to maximise the potential of your substack? Really, you need to look at the internal features like the things you're speaking about there? I think it's a combination of both, but you're right. There'll be saturation at some point with the number of people that you're going to scrape from those, from your social media platforms. Mm -hmm. The internal platforms are really important. But then there is another external thing, which is, and, I, and I've seen this myself, which is if you are a freelance journalist and you are still writing for the broadsheets or writing for magazines and um, by the way, a lot of magazines, editors I know have been very helpful and they will let you have a credit at the end to your Substack. Mm. There is huge growth in that, huge growth in that. So the, the internal source of machination, so to speak, are really important and they're only going to grow because we're having a huge focus on that. You know, we know because we, we speak to writers day in, day out. That is the big thing. How do I grow? How do I make more money? How do I increase my community? Yeah, great inside tip there. Um, how effective is the Twitter integration with Substack? As as in the one that comes up at the top of your profile and you can click through. Very effective. Yeah, very effective. I mean, the way that Substack started was there was always that sort of integration with Twitter. You know, when you write a newsletter, it comes up very clearly. Do you want to share this across Facebook, Twitter? Um so Twitter has always been, um, and, and I think this is right, actually, um, no matter how you feel about Twitter, although interesting, what I will say is for because my world was magazines, Instagram was, was more the place where magazine journalists went. But for the last point, writers are on, on Twitter. So Twitter has always been a very useful um, platform. And, and I tell you what else is very useful. Um, and again, it's another sort of insider tip that I talk to writers about a lot. If you have written a spectacular piece on your Substack and you want to get people to read it, obviously a lot of people go, OK, well, what I'll do is I'll, I'll press share and I'll put it on, on, on Twitter. And that's great. Some people will see it. But of course, Twitter does not want you to only be tweeting things which send people to Substack. So there are um, a number of writers who who work Twitter um, incredibly well whilst giving 
some benefits to Twitter and, and huge benefits to themselves, which is they do very smart threads and they'll do sort of five or six threads. Um, so let's go back to the gardening, you know, gardening example. They might go, you know, what is it about gardening that I love so much? One tweet, second tweet. Is it just me or are or, or weeds, the you know, now the most fashionable flower next tweet? Um, and so you would do about five of those. And then on the fifth tweet, what you would do is you'd go, if you're interested in reading a little bit more about my thoughts on weeds, um, I've written a substack which is about this. So so the reader of your tweets can get great sustenance, sort of intellectual sustenance. Well, if you're writing about anything other than weeds, of course, um, from, from your thread. But if they want to go deeper into the relationship with you, they can go, brilliant. God, there's even more. So that works. That's a really good way to work with Twitter, I have found, with writers rather than just constantly sharing. Yeah. Good chance to get into the weeds of the discussion. <laughs> all, the, all the puns are coming out today. Um <laughs> You touched previously really interesting on the multimedia aspect of newsletters. They're coming becoming really a format of their own and Substack especially can allow you to put video and podcasts into them. Do you want to touch more on that? Because that's a really interesting dynamic as well. Yeah. And, and you know that that dynamic has changed. I mean, I joined at the uh, beginning of December and it very much was a, a sort of classic newsletter platform at that point. And, and, and by the way, the newsletter, I think, will, will probably always remain the sort of heartbeat uh, of Substack. However, I'm always sort of mindful to say we are a newsletter platform now because I think a better way of expressing what we do is we're much more a sort of mini media platform where you can communicate through a newsletter if you want. But um, we have great success with we have video now so you can communicate through video. Um, you can have your podcasts and, and I can talk to you a bit about that because the podcast um element is incredibly interesting in, in growing your community uh, and that's a sort of another tip you can do threads so you can literally go into substack and you can write a question um so you know uh, let's continue the weeds um i love weeds which are your favorite and you can put it as a question and it lands in people's inboxes or it goes to the substack app depending on on where you want to read someone's you know newsletter and then people you basically end up with a sort of very um, sort of delicious Reddit thread with, with your community talking back to you or talking to one another. And so for writers who are worried about the amount of time it takes to write two columns a week, I always say to people, you don't have to write two columns a week. You can write one column, but then you can use a thread, which is really user generated content, but is helping to build your, your audience. Um, there's another thing we do, which, again, is really nice. Um, it's a voice memo. So you basically speak directly into, um, you, there's just a little button you press record, you speak directly into computer. And you might just, I don't know, say I was walking around Sissinghurst. God, you can see I've got gardening on the brain. So I was walking around Sissinghurst. I might go, hi guys, um, it's Sunday afternoon. I'm walking around Sissinghurst. You can hear the bird song. I just wanted to share some thoughts with you today that I've been having. You send that out as a voice memo. It's incredibly intimate. It means you don't have to write a whole column about your visit to Sissinghurst. Um, and that's something that um, a lot of people choose to put behind a paywall because it's access to a writer that you love um, in, in a different way than, than the newsletter. And probably what I should just say for anybody thinking about starting a Substack because this is is the sort of counterintuitive bit. It certainly was for me. People always say, well, what should be free and what should be paid? Because, of course, Substack, you have both free subscribers and you have paid subscribers. 
Um, and, and people always, myself included, think that you should put the content which takes you the longest and your best content should always be behind the paywall. But actually, we believe the opposite, which is your best content should always be free. So if you're writing, so in my case, I write a column once a week. So all I have the bandwidth for, but, but it's pretty long. It will forever be free because if your best stuff is free, you're going to bring the largest crowd to come and read it and also the potential for it to be shared. That's the best way that Substack works. Best stuff remains free, but the stuff behind the paywall does not necessarily have to be more writing and more content. What it has to be is, and this is where the business plan comes in, it just has to be carefully thought through sort of I say it's like a golden bone that you give to your subscribers and that might be voice memos it might be in my case I do um, courses for my paid subscribers it's sort of greater access to the writers that you love um, but it doesn't need to take a huge amount of time Patty Smith does gigs so that I think is quite a different way of thinking um, for people, um, but but I think it's very important. But that access does have to justify the price tag, otherwise audiences could feel underwhelmed and feel, well, I could just get all of this great content for free and not have to sign up and pay any more. Some people will do that. There will always be some people who will go, I love I love the column, I'm going to remain free. Um, but, you know, out of those free subscribers, they're still very, very important to you because mm. I often find my free subscribers are the people that share my work when they share their work obviously they're helping you with your growth um, those free subscribers may be people that in years to come decide well I didn't want to pay for the newsletter but actually they're putting on this in-person event um, which has been emailed to me so your free subscribers are really important but one thing that I will say is free subscribers and this is the difference with say um, a patreon which is you pay upfront for access and then you get access to what's behind the paywall. Substack is different in that there's a sort of freewheeling effect, which is you have free subscribers. And like I said, some people will always be free and that's fine. But what we see a lot of is people who start free and then over time they become paid subscribers and they do it for two reasons. One is they want what's behind the paywall, but the other, and this is the more interesting, and I would say it's the majority of people, it's a bit like the Guardian effect. You have mm -hmm. people who have been reading your work for a long time and they go, do you know what? I really value this stuff. I really love it when it drops in my inbox. I'm going to pay because I just want to support this person. So free subscribers are amazing um, and they, they work in lots of, of, of different ways, but they're incredibly important. Um, and, and look, you know, if they, if they never if they never pay a penny, it's still OK. I think for lots of writers that you just want to be read sometimes. When you think about what your expertise is, as with all branding, try not to be too generic. For example, Farah says there are a lot of political writers on Substack, so think about narrowing in on a particular focus. Same as if you want to write about food, for example. You could be more specific by tagging yourself under recipes versus restaurants. Women could be too general of a tag as well, so consider if you want to write about feminism, fashion, beauty, etc. When it comes to tech, you might also be worried about yet another platform to get your head around. Farah says that the platform is designed to be intuitive and user-friendly. Posting content will look and feel a lot like sending an email, and IT support is only a few clicks away. I suppose that's why you give up 10% of your revenue to Substack. The company would argue the platform removes the technical headaches and assists you with growing your audience. 
As most newsletter experts and digital journalists know, analytics is everything right now, vital for knowing if your digital product is swimming in the right direction. Many journalists also have a reputation for being slight data-phobes though. But as Vira explains, that shouldn't put people off because the metrics you need to worry about on Substack are very simple to monitor. Those being free and paying reader recipient lists, conversions from free to paying readers, and open rate of your emails, measured plainly as unique emails opened divided by unique emails delivered. Here's Farah with more on that. You can see where your traffic's come from, who's recommending you. We have, I think I mentioned it, recommendations. You can see if Jacob is recommending Farah. Um, and if you want to recommend back, you just press yes. Um, you can see open rates. The truth is the thing that people get obsessed with and it's very, very clear is this this sort of graph appears. If you go into, I think you go into subscribers. Um, so there are two buttons, there's subscribers and the stats. The stats is sort of where you can find, you know, where the traffic is coming from, blah, blah, blah. Um, but the subscribers is the thing that people get obsessed with. So you click on that and you um, you have two numbers on the left and the right of your screen. The number on the left is your number of free subscribers and the number on the right is your paid subscribers. And that is the thing that writers get obsessed with, because, of course, the freeze, the way it works is you're always in growth. It's, it's, it's highly unusual um, to see anything going backwards. It's always growing. But what writers love is seeing that sort of freewheeling effect mm. of their free subscribers converting over to paid. And really, if you are not into numbers and you're not into data, but you want to run a good business, that's the thing to keep an eye on, really. Um, typically, the conversion rate from free subscribers into paid is between 5 and 10%. So I always say to writers, keep an eye on that. You know, if you've got 4,000 free subscribers, the dream is to have 400 of them paying. But if you've got around 200, you're, you're on the right track here. Awesome. Um Open rates are kind of seen as historically the holy grail of um, whether a newsletter is um, strong and healthy. How much does a Substack writer need to obsess over open rates? Uh, I always say to writers, look at the two numbers, you're freeze and you're paid. You know, if you're delivering a good service and you're writing well, the freeze will keep paying and the paid will keep getting higher. The open rates, of course, are important because you want to make sure people are reading it. But of course, they will, you know, once people open it, that's all going to um, affect your freeze and your paid because people open it, they share it. But the open rates on Substack are, well, I know they're very high because I, I have seen what newsletters are like from, from some publications. Um, you know, they average around 40 percent. You know, good open rate is about 50 to 60 percent. Um, that's really great. That's sort of amazing. And of course, with your paid subscribers, because there'll be some posts you do to paid, it's obviously much higher than that. And look, the hope is, for me anyway, um, and, and, and for the founders of the company, I'm sure, is we want writers to be able to make a living. You know, writers have never been paid properly, um, historically. So, you know, I would say open rates, important, but keep an eye on those free and paid, you know, because that's what's going to set you up for a writing career for sort of the end of your days. If you keep those healthy, you're never going to have to think about changing career. Let's put it that way, which is what most writers are always thinking about. Farah, I'd like you to put your journalistic hat on for this question, if you would. Um, what's kind of the the big Substack feature that you look at as addressing, you know, a, a very typical pain point that you've seen or experienced in, in, in a newsroom structure? What's the one thing that you look at and think, oh, I would have loved that when I was working in a newsroom? Certainly from an editor's point of view, um, it is the thread functionality. Mm. Because 
one of the things I always used to struggle with, and then actually is, is an incredible pressure for editors and writers is you're basing it really on instinct, what people want, you know, and, and that's why, of course, good writers and editors are very valuable. But but what you put out into the world, you have no idea really if your readers want it. You just have an instinct that they might do. With threads or even with just newsletters, like I said to you earlier, your readers write back to you. And, and, and I think because they, I think, Jacob, because they give you their email, there tends to be no dramas when they write back to you. It tends to be a very sort of nuanced forum. But you can tell immediately what people want because A, they will tell you, or B, you can see the subscriptions, um, people um, opting out of subscribing. If you do something that people are like, this is totally not for me, you can see very clearly. And in journalism, certainly on magazines, of course, with digital um, you could see that because of the number of people who are reading your piece. But that is something as an editor, I would have loved to be able to mix with the community and see the community and get more of a feel. You know, we always used to roughly know, well, they're, they're mainly in the South and they're between these ages. But I can tell you through my own newsletter and um, the community that I have built and lots of writers build, what what we now know about our audiences, we know everything from you know, are they married? Where do they live? Do they have a dog? How many children? Like, it's a sort of level of integration is probably the wrong word, but a coming together that as an editor, we never had. And and, and it really, um, it's absolutely vital, I, I think. Uh, this has been an absolute joy to speak to you. Thank you so much for jumping on the podcast. Very welcome. Okay, thanks so much. Tons and tons of great advice there from Farah. So much to think about. Here's a recap of my takeaways from this conversation. Lean on your expertise and try to cross-promote the work of other writers. The promise of organic growth means you do not necessarily have to be a star writer in your newsroom to make the move across to Substack. If you only want to do it part-time or in your spare time, you can make your life a little bit easier by incorporating user-generated content, which can take the heat out of a potentially relentless content cycle. Try to offer your best content for free, even if that feels counterintuitive, but be sure to dangle a nice carrot behind the paid subscription, so long as it's something people will actually pay for. Make sure to leverage your other multimedia skills. A newsletter is more than just the text product now. To that end, keep an eye on the new features Substack is continuing to roll out. Farah tells me that there is a massive demand for internal surveys and polls, so keep an eye out for those features to come soon. Are you on Substack? I'd love to hear how your experience has been. You can DM or tweet me at jpgjournalism or the winder team at journalism.co.uk at journalismnews. If you'd like to feature on the show or you've got a topic or story you want us to cover on the podcast, do get in touch. I'm on jacob at journalism.co.uk. And finally, if you liked what you heard today, you can check out more of our episodes on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts by searching and subscribing to the journalism.co.uk podcast. That way you won't miss our next exciting episode where we'll take a deep dive into the landmark digital news report from the Reuters Institute for the Study of Journalism, which is coming out next week. But that's all we have time for this week. I've been your host, Jacob Granger. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time.